My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm delighted that I get the opportunity to keep helping us explore the idea of transforming our corridor. We've been thinking about this for quite a while, and we actually started talking about it here in, this, in, these, in our services about three weeks ago. If you were here then, you'll remember that Jeremy did an excellent job of inspiring all of us with this idea that Jesus is everywhere, and the power of Jesus is available to us wherever we go. Um, that's what the cross on this paper represents, this reminder that no matter where we go, Jesus goes with us, and this idea of transformation is centered on him. If, there's, if Jesus is there, then there's the possibility for transformation because Jesus is constantly rippling out like uh, ripples in a pond. The, the love and the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the power of God, that's constantly being rippled out into our world because Jesus is here with us. And then the next week we looked, about, uh, looked at what it means for us to be disciples. As we are following Jesus, we are disciples. That's what a disciple does, follows. And we drew an arrow, a single arrow pointing toward Jesus And we recognize that we are, all of us at various places along that journey, coming closer and closer to Jesus. But wherever we're at on that journey, we have the opportunity to ripple out from our lives into our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces, our communities, the love and the power and the grace and the goodness of God. We can ripple that out into our world. And when last week we looked a little bit more about how that plays itself out, recognizing that our primary way to bring about transformation is not limited to one hour a week. It's not about us gathering together here. It's about us gathering and then going. And so that this ripple effect has its impact as we together go out into the world wherever we're called to go and we can take that 167 hours a week, we can take that out into the places where we go. And we've been trying to inspire everybody with these little kind of practical, maybe even simple ideas about places you already go to where you could see these ripples begin to take effect. And Leah shared a little bit last week about her preschool and how she intentionally changed her routine at uh, preschool and how that has had an impact on the teachers at her kids' preschool. And, and we're hoping that keeps inspiring people. And it did inspire someone. And she made the mistake of telling us how it inspired her. And so we wanted her to tell you. So I would like to invite Virginia to come on up here right now. She is so excited to come up here and do this. I have to, to twist her arm. This is Virginia. And I'm going to let her tell you the story of how she felt inspired to ripple. Yes, he did pull me out of my comfort zone because this is way beyond my comfort zone. Um, Leah did inspire me last week when she shared with us her story about um, the ripple effect that she had on her day, the boys' daycare and how she did it with Dunkin' Donuts, that she wanted to put a name to a face. And um, then she would pray for those names. So um, last Sunday, it was on my heart. I, could, I, I just couldn't get it off my mind. And by Sunday night, I had a plan, or God had a plan for me. Um, I'm a school bus driver for Benton Community School. I have been for 18 years, and I thought I'll start there. Um, I have a route out of Norway, and then I take um, preschool through third graders from Norway up to Atkins. That's about a 15-minute drive, and I have about 45 of them. And then I transport fourth, fifth, and sixth graders back from Um, Atkins to Norway, and God put it on my heart that I needed to focus on these creatures of habit. So I made up a card, and I put um, name, grade, hobbies, and when I graduate, I would like to, and then they fill in the blank. 
And so I gave them an opportunity to fill out this card, and then that would give me a name with a face. And in turn of doing that, they would get to pick the radio station. And every three days, I would pick a new student. And um, they filled them out, and some of them returned them. Some were very happy because it's always something special, I don't know why, to, for the bus driver to know your name. Um, so then I, unbeknownst to them, that would give me a name with a face that I could pray for for those three days. Thank you. So some of you right now are being inspired and you're thinking, I'm not going to tell anybody about it because you're going to end up up here. But um, we would love to hear more of these stories because we think that this is part of how God inspires us to do this. We've added another tool to our kind of tool belt for how we're going to do this. When you go out into the gathering space, there's a big butcher block paper on the wall by the pot machine over here in the corner. And there's two columns on this paper. One is prayer requests. If you have just an idea just starting to develop and you're like, I want to pray for God to change this thing in your life, in your family, in your workplace, whatever, write your prayer request on the wall. That'd be awesome. Um, the other side is, is bright spots. If, if you feel like God did lead you to do something and you started to see the difference that that could make, there's markers right there. You can write right on the paper, right on the wall. This is something I see God doing or something where there's been a change or transformation in your family, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, somewhere in the corridor. So we would appreciate that. So we're going to continue to dig down into what this means for us to live this out. And I'm going to do that by using a passage from Matthew 20 today. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. So we're back in the New Testament, the very first book, Matthew, the 20th chapter. Matthew 20, starting with the 20th verse. This is about one of our three identities we're going to look at here in the next few minutes. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom the Father has prepared them. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word, and it's true, and you can rely on it. One of the other pieces of feedback I've been getting from people is how much you love talking to each other in the service. Have I been getting that right? No, I've been getting lots of feedback the other way. 
So I'm not going to make you talk to each other this morning, but I want you to like think these thoughts in your head. And if you can't hold them in there any longer, you can turn to your neighbor and say this. The first question is, what do you say when you introduce yourself? How do you describe yourself when you make an introduction? Think through that for just a second. You probably give a name. Maybe you say your occupation. Maybe you say something about your family, husband or wife, kids, family connections. Maybe if you have a little more time to talk about it, you say something about a hobby or interest, something that you're interested in, especially if you're wearing shirts like we had last week that show some of these places where we're connected to. The descriptions that we use to talk to others and introduce ourselves to others reveal something about our identity. These are things that we use to label ourselves. So if I introduce myself, I might say, you know, like I did a few moments ago, I'm a pastor. Um, I introduce myself as being a husband and a father. Talk about my three kids. Sometimes, if it's the right setting, I talk about being a cyclone fan. Talk about some other interests that I have when I'm talking to people. Talk about where I live, the city, the location of where I live. There's a couple of key descriptions that we don't usually use when we introduce ourselves, but these are actually part of our identity because we live in America today. And one of those identities is this. We think of ourselves largely as individuals. That when I'm introducing myself, I don't often think about describing some collective thing that I'm part of. It's usually individual descriptions. And the other thing which we usually never identify, but it's very much part of our identity is, in this culture... We see ourselves as consumers. Part of who we are is to get stuff and to buy stuff and to accumulate stuff, to amass stuff. We consume things. Now, one big challenge with our identity is this. Do we know who we really are? Can we make an accurate assessment about our own identity? And if we know who we really are, are we willing to let other people see that? Or once we figure out who we really are, do we have to project some kind of fake self or false identity? This is a very common thing. Many people are prone to project some kind of false self or false identity. I wonder sometimes if maybe it's not most people. In, in, when we really get to know some of the worst parts of ourselves, we don't want anyone else to know that, so we project a false Self. There is one particular area, actually, in our culture where people are so prone to project a false self that they've coined a whole new term to describe this. Would anyone like to guess where that area is? On Facebook. There's a term now called Facebook self. You've got your real self, and then you've got your Facebook self. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we sometimes have a tendency on Facebook to make ourselves seem more popular and more satisfied and more successful and just all around more awesome. I mean, when you put stuff on Facebook, it is to make yourself look awesome, isn't it? That's what we call our Facebook self. Some people create fake IDs to help with this process and usually for a specific end in mind. And there are better and worse fake ideas the idea is that you have to create an, uh, uh, an ID that is at least a little bit believable. I've got a picture of what not to do when you're creating a fake ID. Don't do this. I think the moral of the story for all of this is if you're going to make a false self, 
make it as believable as possible. Sometimes when I'm going through Facebook, which isn't very often because I, I can't stand it, honestly, um, I just marvel at some of the people I know and the things they put on Facebook, and I go, wow, that is a completely different person than I know. They have to at least make it somewhat believable otherwise. There's an old saying about how we get to our identities, and it goes like this. We are not who we think we are. We are not who other people think we are. We are who we think other people think we are. So there's this like deal where we're having to constantly try to posture ourselves and position ourselves so that people will uh, accept us or give us approval or allow us to fit in. That's the idea that comes with false IDs. And I think it's a very complicated thing about the whys and hows of it, but I think maybe the moral of the story should be this. Don't create a false identity. Don't project a false identity. Know who you really are, and once you know who you really are, then project that self so everybody can see it. One consequence of not knowing who you really are and presenting this false idea is that we, we fail to discover who we really are. And we end up in quite a quandary because we don't know what we really like or what we really dislike or what, we, what excites us or what grieves us. We fail to let other people into our lives. We wear masks. We, it just doesn't go well. Living a false identity keeps us from our true selves and it keeps us from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish. Here's the big idea for today. As followers of Jesus... Our true identity comes from God. He gives us our identity, and this shapes us. And when we know this true identity, then it is possible for us to go out into our world 168 hours a week and make transformation, be used for transformation. So the bottom line for today might be the question, do you know what God thinks of you? If our identities are often formed by we want to think what they think about us, do you know what God thinks about you? And I've got a main point for today is this. God thinks you're awesome. And this comes from this verse, Zephaniah 3.17. The picture in this verse is a picture of God standing by a crib. And as God is standing by this crib... He's humming a little song because he's looking at his beloved child in the crib and the verse says he takes great delight in singing over them. Have you ever thought about that? That when God looks at you, who you really are, he is delighted with you. He takes great joy in you. He takes great pleasure, so much so that he can't help but sing a song over you. This is a beautiful picture that Zephaniah gives us, and I can relate to this. Any of you who have kids can maybe relate to this. I can remember years ago when my oldest daughter was born, my firstborn child was born and got her home, and I I was pretty much in a mindset of I was so not ready to have kids. Then we get this little girl home and get her in her crib, and I'm standing there within the first few days after she's home, And I'm watching her in this, laying here, breathing, and she's beautiful, 
she's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my life. And she's breathing. I'm watching her breath go up and down. She's so peaceful and quiet. And you know what I thought? I thought, I am doomed. That's what I thought. I am doomed because I recognize that in that moment, I just fell in love with this baby. And I'm doomed from this day forward, no matter what happens, I'm going to love this kid. No matter what she does, no matter what she becomes, no matter what behavior she has, no matter what successes or failures she experiences, I'm watching this baby in her crib and I'm thinking, I love this baby. You know why? Because she's mine. This is the picture in Zephaniah 3. God is standing over you, looking at you, and he's thinking, you're mine. And he's so delighted that he breaks into song. And I know I haven't been a perfect dad. I know I certainly haven't loved my kids perfectly, but this same scene that I had with Kelsey, it was repeated two more times with these additional children that came. And I think for 30 years I have loved them, and no matter what they've done, I haven't always been happy with them, or I haven't always liked them, but I've always loved them because they're my kids. God looks at us that way. No matter what we do, no matter what behavior, you, you cannot earn God's delight. You can't earn God's approval. You can't earn God's favor. You can't do anything to measure up. This is at the core of our identity. The, the, the most fundamental thing we believe as followers of Christ is this. We belong to God, and He takes great delight in us. Not because we've measured up or because we've done great things, but because we are His, and He chooses to love us. Another way to say this would be to say that we've been made worthy, and this is what we talk about when we talk about salvation, that God has saved us and He's made us worthy in Christ, that there was a time when we came to faith in Christ and we confessed our sins, and because Christ came and lived and died in our place, God has saved us by the work that, God, by the work that Christ did on the cross. And we know that because we're made worthy in him, we are being saved continually, day by day and step by step. We're being more and more transformed to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. We're being made worthy. And then we know that there's this great promise in Scripture that one day we will be made perfect. We will be saved. We will be completely worthy when God completes the good work that he started in us. This is our identity. And the reason why this helps me so much is because the more I've come to grasp this identity that I have in God, the less I care what you think of me. I don't have to worry about what somebody else thinks, about how I measure up, about whether I have to earn or put on some kind of false identity. I can say, I am beloved I belong to God, and he delights in me so much, he sings over my life. So this, begin to shape, this begins to shape, then, how we live as we go out to Ripple. So with that in mind, I want to talk about three kind of key identities that come once we grasp this big picture of what God has done for us. And the first identity is we are family, that we are primarily not a bunch of individuals collectively gathered together. We're brothers and sisters. We have the same father. Now, something that happens with families is there's a, there's a resemblance that comes together. 
can remember my dad grew up in Laota, Minnesota, and I can remember one time when I was, this is not a picture of my dad's family, by the way. <laughs> you probably can't see it from where you're sitting, but there's a striking resemblance among all of these boys in this particular family. And my dad grew up in a family with uh, six brothers, and there was a lot of resemblance among them. And I remember as a little kid one day walking around Laota, it's not a very big community, and as we were walking, several different people came up to me and my brother, and they said, oh, you must be Henry Landheis's sons. And I'm like, I don't know these people. I don't know if they know me. I have no idea how they know this. And then it dawned on me that they've seen the same thing they're seeing right there years ago when they saw my brother and his, my uncles walking around. The same gait, the same posture, the same face, probably the same haircut walking around town, and they like know exactly who it is. We have a family resemblance. You know that we all have a family resemblance to each other? Did you know that? Now you look around, you go, yeah, you all look way different from each other. But there is one family resemblance that the scriptures are very clear about this, and this, that is this. If you belong to the family of God, then one thing we all have in common is love. So I go, oh, I see how you love each other. You must be part of the family of God. This is how Jesus talked about it in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the family resemblance. Oh yeah, I see you walking around Cedar Rapids, I see you at school, I see you at your workplace, I see you in your family, in your neighborhood. I recognize you as being part of the family of God. There's a family resemblance, you love each other. We love because our Father loved us, and we loved in the same way that Jesus, our brother, loved. Remember this? We talked about this actually a couple weeks ago, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and so, because we're family, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Paul goes into this, and he fleshes this out endlessly throughout his letters to the churches. He's writing to all the different family members and all the different churches. Remember the little study in the book of Acts we finished this summer? He's writing to all these places where all these families live together, and he says, here's what you do. Love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, seek the well-being for one another. I mean, this is just what you do. Why? Because you're family. We're all in this together. This is a key part of our identity. That's what it means to be family. So another distinguishing mark of our identity is we're servants. And if there's a distinguishing mark that I think is like very clear and, and maybe like the fingerprint of what it means to be a Christian, I would say it maybe is um, servant. This is like the feature that marks you out as being like uniquely Christian, willing to serve each other because that's what Jesus did. We look at his example, we see this as fundamentally the case. This is what was going on in Matthew 20, the passage we read today. The disciples were still wrestling with living into their identity, and so they were still trying to like, figure out who they were, and they were kind of taking their cues from the world around them. And as they were looking at the world, they're looking at, you know what leadership looks like in the world? Well, leadership looks like somebody who has authority, someone who has power, someone who places themselves over other people. They use the word lord it over other people. That's a very common picture for leadership in the world. You lord it over other people. You exert your authority and power. You get what you want that way. And Jesus says, not so with you. That's actually my favorite part of this entire passage. He goes, not, not so with you. You have a different identity. 
Here's your identity, he says. Listen to this passage again. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. You want to understand this identity that we have in Jesus? Lay your life down. That's the kind of service that he's talking about. Serve each other by laying your life down. That's your real identity. When we live like family and we live like servants, then another part of our identity becomes really obvious. And that is, we are missionaries. That we are not sent for our own... uh, We're not sent for our own benefit, but we're sent for the benefit of the whole world. And we're called to reach out to them. Now, we know that fingerprints are an important identifier for how we know ourselves as individuals. But you know that there's something behind the fingerprint that makes the fingerprint the way it is. You know what that is? I have a picture of that for you. What's that a picture of? So your DNA influences how you turn out. Your stature and your hair color, your eye color, your fingerprints, your, all, all these different things about us. The DNA is key to that. Our DNA shapes us from the inside out and determines who we are. In Jesus, our DNA is remade. So that we don't live for self, we don't live as individuals, our primary identity is not consumer, our primary identity is not even necessarily husband or father, our primary identity is family and servant and missionary. We're made to be that way. Now this is really important because this is going to shape how we go forward into transforming the corridor that we recognize that we're not doing it in our own power, we're not doing it because we were necessarily made this way at birth, but that we've been remade this way through the work of Jesus in our lives. And I really like, there's a lot of different people who say great things. Good job bringing in that quote today, although I couldn't quite follow you, but it was still a good try. I got a quote for you too. This is John Piper, not really a theologian, more preacher. This is what he says about identity. Christian identity is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. Okay? This is something completely different. We've been remade. We've been reshaped from the inside out by our DNA. Christian identity is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It's defined in terms of what God does to us and the relationship He creates with us and the destiny that He appoints to us. Our identity is a God-given thing. God made us who we are so we could make him known. So we could let the world know who he is. Now this is really where I start to get inspired about identity because I recognize that because we are given this identity as family and servants and missionaries, we can shine light into the darkness. We become like lights and salt if we look at the passage that um, Karen shared with us. And actually what we're doing is we're actually revealing a picture of who God is when we're living as family, servants, and missionaries. I'm going to draw that for you. Anybody know what that's a picture of? 
I'm so tempted when I come up here to do a picture to do the commercial with the sloth drawing the straight line down. Remember that commercial? (laughs) This is a picture of the Trinity. Our identity comes from the Trinity. And think of it this way. Father, God is our Father. He makes us family. Our identity as being family comes largely from understanding that this is what God has called us to be. And because He's our Father, Jesus, who was His Son, is our brother and sister. But when we think of Jesus, we think of His mission when He came, which was what? Not to be served, but to serve and to lay His life down as a ransom for many. He's a servant. And then the Holy Spirit, we just went through this in the book of Acts as we saw the church go out into the world. What did they get? They got the power of God to go out and transform their communities. Go back to Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, family, servant, missionary. We get our power to go out and be missionaries by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. When we live our true identity, we are shining light on God, on who He is, and how He works in our world. This is the opportunity that we have, the privilege that we have as His people to go out into this world. This is huge. I think this shapes everything about how we live our life together. So the last question I have for you is this, and since you don't want to talk to each other, I'm not going to make you talk to each other about it, but... Which of these three identities do you find most intriguing and most exciting? When you think about being family, being servant, being missionary, which of those identities do you resonate with and you go, wow, that's true, I see that being played out. Can you identify one of those as being really exciting to yourself? Maybe write it down on your bulletin. Or if you can't hold it in, lean over and whisper it in the ear of your neighbor. Okay? And when you think about these three identities, family, servant, and missionary, which one do you think, wow, that seems challenging. That's, I, I don't quite get that. It's hard. I, I'm, I don't see that happening as often or as, as real. Which one of those three is the most difficult for you? Jot that down. Now your homework for the week is to go pray about this. And see in these places you've identified when you go to your workplace or your school or your neighborhood, if you lived one of these identities in those places, what would that mean? What difference would that make? That's what I want you to pray about this week and think about it. And then uh, last question, who is this? It looks like Matt Damon, but it's not. Anybody recognize what movie that's from? Yeah, Jason Bourne. If he's living his life as, you know the Jason Bourne movies? Yes, if you don't, this this won't mean anything to you. (laughs) Jason Bourne, he doesn't know who he is in in these movies. And there's a series of movies where he's trying to discover his identity. But while he's trying to discover his identity, you know what happens? He keeps living it out. So he does these amazing feats of strength and he gets into all these tactical situations that he solves, and it's, he's got this amazing capacity to do stuff, but he doesn't know who he is. The stuff that he does just comes out of his identity. It just comes flowing out of who he is, even when he's not sure who he is. So this is the hopeful uh, 
good news I want to share with you. As we're learning our identities more and more, even though we don't know them fully, we can live into them. And we're going to be surprised when we see what God does as we live out as family, as servants, and as missionaries. I think what God will do is transform the corridor. That's what he's going to do. Lord God, we come to you today and I give you thanks for your word. And we thank you, God, for being our father. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who is at work to take these things and help us proclaim them. And uh, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.